Good morning, everyone. If you're at home, sitting at home, and you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, you might want to take them and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you happen to have another person who's there with you, uh, sitting beside you or walking with you or wherever you are as you listen to this sermon, you might want to get them to flip to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, you two can share those, those passages and those Bibles with each other. Socially appropriate distancing, of course. When I was a pastor in a small church in northern Saskatchewan, uh, I found myself doing a lot of weddings. I was the only pastor, and so any weddings that were on, even in the community, I wound up doing. And I found myself, the summer, especially at the end of the summer, I found that there was at one point where it was such a young church and there were so many young people coming that we actually had a marriage class for a tiny little church. We had five people in a marriage class. It was a lot of fun together, and uh, that was a great summer to do a lot of those weddings uh, here at Bridgeway. I haven't really done very many weddings in the last couple of years. Pastor Darren, the youth pastor, associate pastor, he gets all the fun stuff of doing the weddings, and I have to go to Scotland in order to get a wedding to do. So thank you, Dominic and Laura. Um, but one of the things that I found in, 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 those, in those marriage counseling classes was that really it's the small things that matter. It is really the tiny little decisions that we make. It's the little things that that matter in our marriages. It's not normally the the huge things. Those are often the last straw. But it's all the little steps and all the little mistakes and all the little things that we stop doing uh, that really make a difference in our marriage. And so my goal for this sermon series was to take this very, very familiar passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I mean... For some of us, this is just such a cliche. Love is patient, love is kind. You can't hardly even go to a wedding without hearing this passage. And and sometimes when a passage becomes that familiar to us, we stop listening to it. And so I, I wanted to take a very, very familiar passage in four Sundays and really just kind of flesh it out and draw it out and talk to you about the little things. And This passage obviously doesn't even apply simply to your marriages. It applies to all relationships in a church and even your relationships outside of a church. It's all about growing in the love of God, and so that's important. And even if you're not married, I'm hoping you'll be able to take that out of this sermon series. But we've been focusing particularly on marriages and weddings and being happily married and those of you that are married. It is tough to do marriage counseling. You hear about all the ways that an enemy, the enemy is gaining a foothold in Christian marriages. And I I have to, even as I look back on that summer where I did five marriages, two of those marriages already, and that was only just a couple years ago, two of those marriages are already ending in separation and moving towards divorce. It's sad. And it's particularly sad to think that it was really just all the little things that those couples did not do that led to that disintegration of their relationship. And so this marriage series, To Have and To Hold, is really, it's really just purely selfish. It's designed to save me about 900 hours of counseling if you will just pay attention. What I didn't expect in the process, though, was how badly God was going to be skewering me about my own marriage. I find that as I think about who I am becoming in Christ, particularly in my marriage, it's been sobering to think that I was probably a better husband five years ago 
than I am today. I have allowed things in my own marriage to slip. I have given the enemy a foothold in the last three years. And so I'm learning and I'm relearning in this series even as I share God's truths with you. Potatoes. Why are there so many potatoes up here this morning? And what do potatoes have to do with our scripture? 1 Corinthians 13. Well, for today, there's two little thoughts that I want to just draw out of this passage for us. Two small potatoes. Love is, love doesn't get angry. Love doesn't keep score. Just those two little thoughts. Love doesn't get angry. Love doesn't keep score. The NIV says love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. The ESV says it's not irritable or resentful. The NASB says love is not provoked and does not take into account a wrong suffered. King James Version says it's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. And the message, Eugene Peterson's translation says, love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score. So let's take that first thought, that first idea that love doesn't get angry. Now, a few years ago, a few weeks ago in a sermon, I, I used that term frustrated, right? Frustrated. And, and it's the Christian term for anger because we know in our hearts a little bit that, that anger is not something that we are supposed to be uh, exhibiting. It's not something that we're supposed to be making a home for in our personalities. And yet, we always want to make excuses for it. So, frustration. And Elaine was just laughing at me. She knows me. She knows that this hits too close to home. When we were engaged last century, Elaine and I took one of those crazy tests that they make you take in premarital counseling, right? It's like A, B, C, D, and you get to about question number six or seven, and you just start answering C for everything because you're bored of the test. And then they have to tell you, based on your test results, something about your personality and, and how, you know, what your challenges are going to be in your marriage. And, and it, it doesn't always work, particularly if you're like a a uh, melancholic cleric who sometimes is phlegmatic, or maybe you're an INTJ who's also an ESQZ or whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't always work. But I, I remember in, in our marriage counseling, the one thing that I do remember is our pastor. And he was, he was an older Scottish pastor with a great Irish, uh, Scottish accent. And he looked at me, and he, he's, he's looking at my test, and he goes, Nick! You're an angry man. <laughs> I still just, you're an angry man. And it's like, thank you very much, Pastor Scobie. Thank you very much for that observation. I already knew that. Um, can I do something about it, right? Anger. Love doesn't get angry. If I'm going to grow in my love for Elaine, if I'm going to mature in how I love other people, if I'm going to become more like Christ, I'm going to have to learn to deal with this anger issue. I can't allow anger to ruin my love. I can't allow anger to shipwreck my marriage. And some of you are in that same boat. Anger is wrecking some of your relationships. Anger may even be wrecking your marriage. It doesn't have to. 
Like I ask Elaine for something for me, to do something for me, and, and she forgets to do it for me. And so I get angry with her, and I start to take my sack of potatoes, and, and I add another potato into the sack, right? I get upset with her, and, oh, you didn't do this for me. And so I get angry, and I add another potato. She leaves her hair in the shower drain, and, and I get angry with her, and it's another potato in the sack. And, and, and then, and then she, she, she leaves makeup all over the counter, and I get angry with that. And so I pick up another potato and, and I put it in my sack and, and, and I just keep adding more and more potatoes to the sack. Another potato to the sack. She refuses to wear that dress that looks so great on her because she's self-conscious. And I, I get angry about her about that and, and I add another potato to the sack. And, and, and it just uh, she leaves me with the car sitting on empty and she knows I've got somewhere to go and it's just, just angry. She likes Dr. Phil. That's a big potato in the sack right? Love doesn't get angry. I would like to know who translated the NIV here. Love is not easily angered. Easily angered. It's such a cop-out for some of us, right? (laughs) I'm not easily angered, but you've done this, and you've done that, and you've done this, and you've done that, and you haven't done this, and you haven't done that, so now you have made me appropriately angry. I'm not easily angry. It's your fault that I'm angry, and I justify my anger. I have a long fuse, but you've reached the end of my fuse, and now I'm angry. Easily angered. The only thing is, the word easily is, is not actually found in the original Greek of our Bibles. It's, it's not there. Those angry boys in 1611, when they were translating the King James Version, those angry boys decided to include it. And then those angry boys and girls in 1977 who were translating the NIV decided to keep it in there. And it's been there ever since. It's this little tiny addition to your Bibles. An escape clause for those of us who have anger issues. Oh, I can get angry. I just can't get easily angered. Paroxunetai. It's the only place in the entire Greek New Testament that this word is even used. Love doesn't get angry. Surely we can have some leeway with how we translate it, right? Surely we can excuse some of the anger. Proverbs 15, verse 18 A hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Proverbs 22, verse 24, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. My goodness, is that why some of you are not friends with me? (laughs) Matthew 5, 22, I say to you, even if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, then you become in danger of the very fires of hell. Those are the words of Jesus. Colossians 3 verse 8 says, Now is the time to get rid of our anger, our rage, our malicious behavior, our slander, and our dirty language. Now is the time to get rid of it. And the very first Bible verse that my mother ever made me memorize, I was probably about seven or eight years old when my mom made me memorize this verse. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What a powerful verse. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so those of us that struggle with anger, we're going to have to come to terms with this idea There's not a lot of wiggle room in there for us. 
Love doesn't get angry. I've got to stop putting those anger potatoes in my gunny sack. The second thought from this passage is that love doesn't keep score, and some of you are consummate scorekeepers, aren't you? Like, if keeping score was an Olympic event, you would be setting a world record right now and bringing home the gold medal for it. You really would. Even Michaela would be impressed with your performance at keeping score. You're so good at it. Your spouse doesn't empty the trash, and you don't let it go. You stew on it. You chew on it. You ruminate They've gone off to work all oblivious and, and you're there keeping score. And, and when you keep score, the problem is it's not just one potato. You add it to the sack and you're evaluating the entire sack like, look how full my whole sack of potatoes is. Look at what a terrible person my spouse is. He didn't empty the garbage and he didn't mow the lawn and he looked at that waitress for too long in the restaurant last week and he was harsh with my kids and, and, and he blew off my parents' house, uh, going to my parents' house, he blew that off, and, and he wore sneakers at our wedding when we got married, and he forgot my birthday seven years ago. The sack starts getting pretty full. You've been keeping score a long, long time, and that poor stupid man comes home from work, and <laughs> he just wants to sit on the couch. He's completely oblivious, and you meet him at the door, and, and you, don't, you don't even like let him take his shoes off, and, and, and you're, I can't believe you did this again and this again. It's the 17th time that you've done it since 2012, and you've done it again, and, and not only that, but you do this, and, and you do that, and you do this, and I can't believe you think so little of me, and don't you love me? And he's like, I forgot to take out the trash. He doesn't realize it. you've been keeping score. And now your sack of potatoes has, has gotten full. And now he's going to get the whole thing dumped on him all at once. You've been keeping score in your marriage. And love doesn't keep score. How often should I forgive someone? The disciples asked Jesus, should I, should I forgive them like three times in a day? Is that, is that enough? Is that pretty good? Should I forgive them five times? Should I forgive them seven times? Like seven's a magical number, right? And Jesus says, no, no, you need to forgive them, and you need to forgive them, and you need to forgive them, and you need to forgive them 70 times seven or more, Matthew chapter 18. You forgive them. You don't keep score. Sensible people control their temper, Proverbs 19, verse 11. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. They don't keep score. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let's not keep score and hope that God doesn't keep score for us. Luke 17, 4, even if a person wrongs you seven times in one day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness... You must forgive them. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Think about that for a moment. If God kept a record of your sins, you couldn't stand before him. And so if God doesn't keep a record of your sins, then why, 
Why are you keeping a record of other people's sins? Love doesn't keep score. So here's the problem. <laughs> Some of you in your marriage, you're a speaker. You, 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 just, you spew. You say things that are on your mind. If it comes into your mind, you say it. It's just, it's just how you operate. You say what's on your mind. Sometimes you say it without thinking, and sometimes you say it hurtfully. And it's like you're lobbing potatoes at the other person. You never make the bed. Throw the potato at them. You never initiate sex. Throw the potato at them. You never clean up your dishes. Throw the potato at them. Poor Jordy's having a heart attack right now thinking that I'm throwing potatoes at his camera. And some of you are really glad that you're safe at home and not actually in the church sanctuary. Joyce, I love you. Um, I'll clean that up. <laughs> oh, man. Some of you have been hit by those potatoes that your partner has thrown at you. Some of you have been hit by them. And it hurts. I'm a potato thrower. And I've seen it in my wife's eyes. When I've hit, and it's hurt her. Others of you, <laughs> you're potato storers. <laughs> when someone does something wrong, when your partner does something that angers you or hurts you, you think that the mature thing to do, the Christian thing to do, the pacifist thing to do is to just is to take that potato and not throw it at them, but, but instead you're going to put it in the sack. You're going to put another potato in the sack. And, and you think that's the mature thing and the right thing to do. You just want to swallow it yourself. But here's the problem with that approach. You see, the problem is eventually that sack of potatoes is going to get full on you. It just, it can't stay stored forever. Whether you spew it or whether you store it, whether you say it or whether you save it, either way, it, it, it's that potato sack starts to get full. Now, some of you have pretty big potato sacks, I, I have to admit, but eventually for all of us, that potato sack starts to get full. And even though we fill our potato sacks, one potato at a time, one hurt at a time, one imagined slight at a time, even though we fill them one at a time, that's not how we empty them, is it? No, we dump them out. That's what we do with our potato sacks. Once they get full, we just dump them out all over our partners. And some of you have had your partner dump their sack of potatoes on you. And that hurts too, doesn't it? It hurts. So where do we go from here? Potatoes all over the floor in the sanctuary. Ephesians 4. Remember I talked about being in Ephesians 4? It simply says this. Speak the truth in love. In its immediate context, Paul is talking about the church as a whole and our relationships to each other within the church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. But if this spirit-controlled approach works within the church, within our relationships as each other, brothers and sisters in the church, and the church is a picture of Christ's relationship to his people, then should it not also work in our marriages, husband and wife, which are also a picture of Christ's relationship to his people? 
Paul's going to apply it specifically to husbands and wives in in the next chapter in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. But I think for those of us who are potato throwers and those of us who are potato storers, I think that there's a lesson here in Ephesians 4 for our marriages too. So skim down to Ephesians 4, uh, 25 to 27. Instead, it says, speaking the truth in love, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Do not sin by letting anger control you. And don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. How do we handle the little potatoes in our lives, the little, the little hurts, the little, the little frustrations, the little things that, that tend to make us angry? How do we deal with them? This verse, these verses seem to speak to both the potato throwers and the potato storers. If you tend to be a storer, <laughs> don't store your potatoes longer than a day. That's the expiry date on spiritual potatoes, on emotional potatoes in your marriages one day. Okay, the little frustrations, the little... uh, Empty that potato sack every single day. That way it'll never get so full that it'll hurt. Don't hang on to those hurts. Don't, Don't keep score. Love doesn't do that. Don't bring yesterday's scorecard into tomorrow's issues. Deal with your hurts today. If you're a storer... Today, don't delay. And if you tend to be a potato thrower, well, don't throw them right away, okay? Take a little bit of time to let your anger cool, but deal with it today. Don't, don't just not deal with it. Deal with it today. Love doesn't get angry. Don't explode in anger right away with your spouse, but do take the time, once you've cooled down, to speak truthfully and in love to your spouse about what it is that's hurt you. Small potatoes. Do it while it's still today. For both the storers and the throwers, speak the truth in love. For you storers, I mean, that means you tend to think that you're being loving by not getting upset. You think that that's love. By simply taking that potato of hurt and putting it in your sack, you're going to store it rather than share it, and you're going to carry it yourself. But here's the reality. Every time you do that, you are telling a lie to your partner. Stop lying to each other. If you pretend that you're not hurt when you're hurt, you're lying to your partner, and no marriage can survive in a bed of lies. Stop lying. What's wrong, honey? Nothing. Nothing? Come on now. Learn to speak it. Speak it in love, but learn to speak it. For those of you that are storers, and for those of you that are throwers, you tend to think honesty is the best policy, right? There's that line to that old song, I'd rather hurt you honestly than mislead you with a lie, right? And so we just want to do that. And, and I want to share with you guys that are, that are throwers that, that you, you don't want to do that. Don't, don't do it if you don't have to. Speak the truth, yes, But speak it in love. Because even if you're speaking the truth, if you're not speaking it in love, chances are that other person is not going to hear you. So you need to learn to speak the truth in love. For those of you that are storers, speak the truth in love. For those of you that are throwers, speak the truth in love. All right? Here's my challenge to you this week. I know that many of you have found this sermon series to be particularly challenging. 
I hear you. I've, I've spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 13, and there's still so much here for me to learn. And sometimes I think about how much better of a husband I should be, or I could be. And I think I should be further along in this than I am. And I just want to give up. And sometimes, truth be told, I complain to God about my wife and her imperfections. And I use that as an excuse for my own behavior. I'll start to behave better. I'll start to become a better husband once she starts becoming a better wife. And so I focus on that. And my marriage is not going to survive if we're focusing on all the negatives. I use her imperfections to justify my own sinfulness. If only she would fill in the blank. And so God's been convicting all of us in our marriages, not, not so that we would realize how terrible a partner we are. It's just the first step but so that we could change, so that we could realize there's room to grow and we could allow God to have more of us, more of our heart, more of our love, more of our marriages. God has been convicting us because he wants better for us. God's in love with love. Like he's the biggest fan of your marriage. He's more a fan of your marriage than you or your spouse are. He wants you and your spouse to have this incredible, deep, intimate connection with each other and also with him. God loves that. He invented it. He's the one who created godly marriages. So have the talk this week. I want to challenge you men, since it is so conveniently Father's Day, I want to challenge you to take the initiative here And sit down with your spouse. Find a time and find a place to talk. And try to talk as openly and as honestly and as lovingly as you possibly can. Have I been throwing potatoes at you lately? Tell me about it. Because I want to apologize. I don't want to excuse my behavior. I want to apologize. I'm sorry. Have I been storing up? resentments and bitterness? Have I I been growing more and more distant from you because of all the slights real and imagined that I've been storing up? I'm sorry. I need to change that. Have I dumped my potato sack on you? Have I thrown potatoes at you? Either way, I'm sorry. Make a fresh commitment to each other that you are going to practice the love of God with each other. In Jesus' love, you will not get angry. In Jesus' love, you will not keep score. In Jesus' love, you will commit to speaking the truth and to speaking it in love. In Jesus' love, you and your spouse are going to commit to doing that for each other, with each other, every single day. You see, when it comes to potatoes and potato sacks, there's really no such thing as small potatoes. These aren't just, they're just not meant to be stored up And they're not meant to be thrown at each other. So together with your partner this week, I want you to just make a commitment to your own particular potatoes. I want you to take them out one by one. I want you to rub them off. Rub the dirt off them. Clean them up. And like nobody likes to eat raw potatoes, do something with those potatoes. Potatoes are wonderful things. Make something great together. French fries. Mashed potatoes. Nachi. Baked potatoes, hash browns, pierogies, real pierogies, not that crazy cottage cheese stuff, spud nuts, poutine, potato chips, vodka. There's so much good that you can do 
with your potatoes. There's so much love that God can build in your marriage. So don't get angry. Don't keep score. Speak the truth and love to each other. Delight yourself in the husband that God gave you. Delight yourself in the wife of your youth. She's yours to love and to cherish. He is yours to have and to hold from this day forward and for the rest of your lives together. For the glory of God, growing in love together. Amen. We're going to close in prayer and then I'll speak a benediction over you. Father God, I pray that you would continue to build marriages that honor you. For those of us, Lord, that have allowed the hurts and the anxieties and the worries and the sins to raise barriers between us and our spouse, Lord, I pray that you would break them down. I pray that you would flood our lives with love towards each other. And wherever it is possible, Father God, I pray that you would make us peacemakers in our marriages and in all of our relationships. I pray that you would be in us, reconciling the world to yourself through our loving acts in our marriages and in all of our relationships. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our benediction for you for this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a great week.